0: Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started.
1: With 87% of the votes in, we are prepared to call the state of Vermont for Pint Glass Preachers. Welcome to a special election week edition of the most tremendous podcast on the internet. And not just podcasts, this is the most fantastic and luxurious thing you will ever listen to. I guarantee it. So put on a pantsuit, grab a pint, and get ready to make listening to podcasts great again.
2: Dude, (laughs) Speaking of pantsuits, I I'm gonna post this uh, to all of our listeners. I will post this on our social media before the election results were in. I saw this uh, this tweet of this montage that said Hillary Clinton was repping death row records oh, I've because seen that. each of her pantsuits matched like a Tupac outfit, a Suge Knight outfit, or whatever. So I'm gonna <laughs> put that on there in homage to your pantsuit reference, Tom.
1: Hey, there we go.
3: Tom, Let's... I feel like your openers are just getting better and better. I I just. Every week. Yeah, just when I think you can't top yourself, you do. Cheers to you, my friend. Speaking of that, Thanks, what are we drinking tonight, boys? Yeah, let's get through this really quickly because, you
1: know, we got other things to talk about. I that am drinking do. I am drinking from Minnesota. I am drinking Surly Bender, which I think is what pretty much most of the nation has been on in the last 48
2: hours. hey oh. Hey, and uh, if you're like me and you're tempted to think that this is just one sick, weird, twisted dream we're living in here in America, then you'd be drinking a... The Temptress, Imperial Milk Stout from Gabe's home state of Texas. Well, not home Come state, on. but current state of Texas from Lakewood Brewing Company. And it's quite smooth, silky, and delicious, uh, unlike the results of our presidential election two days ago.
3: <laughs> and if you are part of the 50% of the country that voted for Donald Trump, I'm probably drinking the same thing you are right now, an ice-cold Miller Lite. Oh, boy. Uh, it's, whoa, whoa. it's It's probably accurate, though, right? I mean— it's delicious
1: i'm I drinking so. it so. you know spe- speaking of that i'm, I'm just going to put this disclaimer out there uh for those of you who've been along for the ride here on the last we are now on our 21st episode oh no, uh, i episode think
2: 20. hey we're legal this will be episode 20.
1: oh this is 20 so hey oh. e- even whatever it's an even number it's great I, uh, i think you'll know that probably the three of us have a more liberal bent to things than than most and we do actually try to keep that out of most of our episodes. I mean, we want to talk about culture, we want to talk about that, but most most importantly, we want to talk about it in, in the in the framework of, of Jesus. But uh, today, you're probably going to hear more. Uh, and not that we're going to be pro Hillary and this is why all of Donald Trump's policies are bad. I just think you're not going to hear a lot of positive talk about Donald Trump. Because I think this is this is kind of the state of where we are right now, and a lot of what I've been seeing uh, on social media is just people don't know what to do with this. I, I mean, is is that the the yeah.
3: sentiment? I think I think it. Yeah, and I think to be fair, like this episode is is understanding the the phenomenon that just happened in our country, like like processing it, and then to be fair, yeah, we're we're gonna process it from guys that are probably all three of us, I'd say, left of center. Well, uh, and
2: disclaimer: When have I ever had a filter or filtered my responses? You never have. Yep. So I filter all the time, but just, uh, just welcome to the normal life of me, Josh. Mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah.
1: mm-hmm. Well, let, let's start talking about that filter because one of the things I think that we've seen, especially on social media, is people do not have a filter, and there, you know, the lead up to this has been absolutely astounding. Every day, every moment, every second, there's somebody posting some vitriol piece of crap on Facebook or Twitter about uh, their thoughts and beliefs. And then once Trump won, then we had this, you know, this backlash from people or this gloating. it was it, it, it was just amazing. And so I'd love to I'd love to start this out by what were some of the most outstanding things? And I'll say not outstanding like great, but just what what do you remember from from things either people have said to you out loud? within your family friends or what you saw on social media, what were some of those things that just like grabbed your attention right away?
3: Yeah, I think for me, man, I, so part of it is I just remember, so my, my wife was uh, babysitting for another family. So we were texting each other, like during the election results, we're just like, is this real? Like, and so just sort of the, the surreal feeling of it is, is one thing that that stuck out in my head where I'm just like, I just, can't believe this is the world we're in like it's just that's this is what's happened um but then kind of as as the day progressed and I woke up the next morning and like was checking my usual social media feeds the, I'll put it this way the I the the amount of fear I saw and then the amount of anger I saw was pretty shocking to me uh and 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 I'm and honestly, I just want to try and understand it is where I'm at right now because, I like I, I had I had one friend, a dude I grew up with, who literally just said, "Any of you that voted for this guy, you're misogynist, bigots, um, racists, you know, whatever. You're not my friends. You're not allowed to be part of my life anymore. I'm cutting you off. This is over." And I was like, "Man, like." Really, like they, everyone, like that. It just seems so strong. To me. And 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 so that was kind of the anger. But then the fear. I remember seeing friends of mine, who uh, they have they're, they're a, a biracial couple, and their daughter woke up that morning, and and she asked. She's five years old, and she said, "Did Trump win?" And i said, "Yes." And she said, "Oh no! Does this mean I'm going to be bullied now? And does this mean me and my sister are going to be bullied now?" And so there's this. I, I think that answer is yes. I think absolutely. Well, so can we, I mean, I don't want
1: to, okay. That, and, that, that's and, yes, but I don't think it's yes because Donald Trump won. Well, I think, I think what I have seen story after story, I, uh, I'll tell you one. my brother is a professor in, in Wisconsin and okay, uh, he came pants. into class.
2: <laughs> what? I said, okay, smarty pants. Yeah. Just gloat. Uh, Just gloat, Tom. Like every other Trump supporter has been doing the last couple of years. <laughs>
1: That's right. My brother is a professor. He's smart. Uh, he he comes into class on Wednesday, and he's about ready to start class, and a kid in the front row uh, looks to a, another person to his right who happens to be Latino and says out loud, why are you here? Haven't you been deported yet? In all seriousness, not a joke. Wow. That's That's what he said. I just find that appalling that... He th- he now th- believes that he has the moral
2: authority to do that. Yeah. Well, not not just moral authority, but I think it it confirms that like
1: for permission
2: for so much time, for such a long time, I should have said, and for so much of this campaign season, and you know the the days and weeks, months, and I mean years, frankly, that led up to this election, there were so many. Uh, groups, minority groups, whether it's people of color or the LGBTQ community, who were trying to vocalize and voice very real concerns of prejudice, hate, um, discrimination, you know, bullying, and, and and any other any other adjective that you want to use, and for a lot of it, it seemed to be kind of dismissed. Um, and let's just say by most of white evangelicalism, you know that they're like, Hey, well, you know, God's got this, you know, he's sovereign, he's in control. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's ill founded, you know, maybe you're just blowing it out of proportion. And then next thing you know, the election happens and they continue and it's more of a ratification of previous behavior. And now, like you said, Tom, there's been like permission given, Hey, if I'm a super racist, I can just say whatever the hell I want to, because now it's going to be okay. Cause Donald Trump's my president. And he talked about grabbing a woman's crotch. You know what I mean? Like, Yep.
3: Do Do you think so? I, and I don't know if we want to go here right now, but but one of the things that I've been wrestling with is is seeing a lot of uh, my fellow pastor friends and 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 Christian friends uh, that I have no idea how they voted or anything like that. But but their their general voices have been, well, hey, you know, the tomb is still empty, Jesus is still king, uh, God is still sovereign, you know, da da da. We're all going to be okay. And and in one sense, like yes absolutely right put not your hope in princes like the real king is still on his throne all right
1: I, awesome i i i guess i'm having a real problem with that
3: and with why because that
1: re- that's that's
2: because i know well, I, I like because of course i believe it but like i have an issue with
3: it I, and, and i'm trying why. to
2: figure it out and yeah. i posted this to my my personal twitter feed today and i actually talked about it with Dude, my mother you're and gonna mom. get diffrocked so fast you know it. <laughs> And it's going to be so worth it. Um, No, I put on my Twitter feed this morning, and I was talking with my mother-in-law about it while I was trying to get the kids out the door for school. And, you know, I, I for one, just am am really annoyed by the cop-out that pastor friends, uh, Christians have used to hide under the sovereignty of God. Now, I will say it, it hasn't been as many, like, I would say, like, Lutheran or Catholic theologians that I've seen, or Anglican theologians I've seen doing that. It's been mostly Southern Baptists and, and, and um, you know, more American evangelicalists that, that I've seen posting stuff like that. But here's the fundamental problem that I have with it. Aside from the fact that it's true, okay, God is still sovereign, great. That's, you know, we can all agree on that. However, it is an exit route to, take any responsibility if you voted for Donald Trump, and two, to take any responsibility to now say, how can I engage the question with, how am I going to not only love my neighbor, but how am I going to serve my neighbors in this time? And here's what I posted this morning. So in Matthew 23, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, woe to you, teachers of the law, you tithe dill and mint and cumin yet you neglect the weightier matters of the law justice mercy and faithfulness and that to me summarizes that response hey god is sovereign look i'm doing my part as a christian i'm being biblical and yet at the same time you're blatantly ignoring the what jesus refers to as the weightier matters of the law which is justice which has taken a hit mercy which is clearly not being demonstrated on any type of social media venue at all, and faithfulness. Because if you were being faithful, and I'm not saying this in a, you should have voted for Hillary or, or you should have voted for, you know, John Kasich or anything like that. I'm saying being faithful to the faith and the Christ that you are representing when you spew a ton of crazy stuff or seem to hide behind sort of like biblical facades that were never meant to be uh, you know, bulwarks of secrecy or or cowardice in the first place, and so you. So here's
3: the so here's no, the hold, struggle.
2: Wait, on hold now. on. The only other thing I was going to say, only other thing to kind of back that up one more level is if you look in the entire Old Testament, if you look in the entire Old Testament, God actually speaks to the prophets more condemnation against leaders and principles and powers, and the way that Israel kind of like. Was caught up in that, or idolat, uh, you know, uh, uh, idolized it, and um, created sort of false hope in these religious leaders uh, instead of engaging in the corruption and the violence and the and the injustices that were there. So I think that like it's this building of God never really gives us that escape route. He never says you can hide behind the sovereign, my sovereignty, put into place in the the leaders um, and instituted governments in creation. So so let me all. take
1: that just let me take that just a slightly different way because i agree with absolutely everything you just said but from what i was seeing from from my my circle of friends was some of the same people who were who were not necessarily saying awful things before the election but just really arguing and and passionately talking about their beliefs from a policy standpoint or from a ethics and virtue standpoint whatever but then as soon as Trump becomes president, now it's like, hey, guys, Jesus is king. So don't worry about it. And we all just need to love each other. And all of a sudden, it's puppies and rainbows. And and yeah. one, of the th- one of the things that I really disagree with, with all these, with everyone who's saying this on Facebook is Jesus is so king. Like, yeah, he is. But now you've just buried your head in the sand. And I think that goes to what you were saying, Josh. It's like, hey, it's too passive for me. Like, we're just we're the church and we're just going to let this happen because, and we don't agree with it, but you know, Jesus is King. So we'll just go wait this out for four years. No, we have here's, to
2: actively, it, get it creates an out, but it here's the thing. guys. Here's the problem. Require yeah. action in the
3: future. That's all. Let me just, just yeah. speak to both of this though. Cause this is the issue is, is that it's it. And I know you both know this, but like, it can't be that simple, right? Like, like it's not be, because the reality is if, if Hillary got elected, there's a lot that as a Christian, I'm very uncomfortable with about who she is. If Gary Johnson got elected, there's a lot that as a Christian, I'm very uncomfortable with who he is. If Jill Stein got elected, there's a lot of, right, right. So the problem is when you're a Christian in America, there is no way
2: I can ever completely endorse a candidate. No, no, no. It's- but here's here's the question. The The real question is, would these same types of Christian responses be coming out as vocally, publicly, and predominantly if Hillary Clinton or any one of those other candidates would have been. Would we still think be they getting the same response think they from our Lutheran and Christian pastors and brothers and sisters who are saying, hey, God's still sovereign, don't worry about it. I, I, I seriously doubt that. I actually think that there would be more vitriol coming from the mouths of our Christian brothers and sisters toward Hillary Clinton versus this kind of God-sovereign behind it, Donald Trump. And, and I don't know. Why. I don't think I, I so, man. I, think I, that would be I don't case. think so. I, I, think I honestly
1: it, don't. I think it would have been more policy driven, honestly, if, if Hillary had won.
2: That's such a political we, answer, Tom. You're such a politician,
1: I, Tom. Well, we're talking about politics, so I'm going to be pol- political. I, I, I think it, we would have immediately started arguing about, about emails, and we would have been arguing about I, you take your pick, Obamacare or abortion or or how soft we are overseas or not, or whatever you want to talk about. what I what I am really curious to to I, I wish I could know, but have we had a presidential election before where the next day women and people of color and people of of non-heterosexual orientation have woken up, Legitimately scared for their well-being, for their safety, for their lives. When you have that, by when you have people waking up saying, "Yep, am I going to be living in this country a year from now?" And that, and that to me actually is
3: the distinction, Tom. Because you're right. Because, because again, I do think no matter who won, I think my Christian friends, my fellow ministers, would have said the same stuff. They would have said, "God's sovereign, Jesus is Lord, the tomb's empty." I don't think that would have changed. What changes in saying that because Trump won is, is it's, it's a similar move to all lives matter, right? Uh, and, and so it's a similar move to saying like, yes, this is theologically true, but you're ignoring the harsh realities that some people are facing now. And that's the issue with jumping to Jesus as Lord without acknowledging the struggle of these minority groups in our culture.
2: Yeah and, yeah, and actually, I think that that is probably one of the best analogies that I've heard coming out of it. Gabe, is you're right. It's exactly boom like more all than life. just good looks. Yeah, no, I mean you're right because to say that that God is sovereign, so we should just be cool with this or accept it passively is just like saying let's not confront the reality with the, with okay since you brought it up with the Black Lives Matter movement, let's not confront the reality that it that it's not only perceived as if black men are being targeted by police, but it's sort of actually happening. It is reality. And so let's hide behind it. Let's just kind of turn a passive, you know, ear mm-hmm. away from it and say, yeah, but all lives matter. Because on an, on an ontological level and on an existential level, that's true.
1: Yeah, of course. And no one, no
2: one argument. Yet now living as Americans in America, post Freddie Gray, post you know alton sterling post donald trump election now we have to sit down and say who are we and how are we actually going to engage in life in america now that this is reality without at least putting up the you know trying to avoid the front of saying that i'm sort of okay with everything ethereally because god is sovereign or because all lives matter so
3: uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like literally months after uh, the National Socialists took power in, uh, and, and I'm not making an allusion to Nazi Germany, okay? So no one get excited. Uh, but I'm excited. But, okay, but just by by way of example, when they took power in Germany, uh, he got up at a at a pastors conference and delivered a paper called "The Church and the Jewish Question," and and in it he outlined three possible responses for the church. Uh, in in light of national socialism and and the first one was that the church can just comply right you can say hey two kingdoms hey this is just what it is this is the way it's got to be and we're just going to roll with it Uh, he said or two uh, the church can can mend the wounds of those crushed under the wheel of the state Right, so people that are, are getting crushed down, the church mends the wounds of those crushed under the wheel of state. And he said, or option three, the church can jam a spoke or jam the spoke of the wheel of the state and shatter it. And, and you know, he was of course a proponent of option three,
2: um, but part in of America, me, the church has failed in options two and three thus far.
3: Well, for sure, three, uh, and and that's <laughs> where I wonder: is it is it a cop out then? To go to two because 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 I don't want to be extremist. I don't want to be overly reactionary. I don't want to lack reflection here. I, I, I just think like, to me, I, I do think like option two is where we're at right now. Where like, you know, so I posted on my wall for whatever it's worth the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Um, right where, where he says, uh, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace where there's hatred. Let me show love where there's injury, pardon, where there's doubt, faith, despair, hope, darkness, light, sadness, joy, grant that I may not seek to to be consoled, but to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love for it is in giving. We receive It in pardoning. We are parting is in dying. We're born to eternal life. And so, so to me, I look at this and I say, all right, yes, God is sovereign. Of course. But there are people that are legitimately afraid, and so what do I do? I need to look at me first as as a, a sinner saved by grace and as a follower of Jesus, and say from that position, how do I love those that are scared right now?
2: Well, and I think that's okay. I I I jumped the gun Amen. a little bit because I think that that is going to be demonstrated, not just you know in the coming days, but in the coming weeks, months, and ultimately over this next four-year term minimum, not that I'd like to even consider the idea that Donald Trump will be reelected four years from now. However, I probably don't have as much faith in our Christian church in America as perhaps you do, Gabe, in being willing to actually embody the prayer of St. Francis or many others like it. I feel like what's going to happen because of this whole God is sovereign initial reactionary response I feel like the church is going to kind of ride it out until maybe things die down a little bit and then get caught up in the normal stuff instead of truly embodying those, you know, paradoxes and contradictions that St. That, that Francis says in his prayer. You know what I mean? Like, but so here, sorry to interrupt, but part of my, my struggle is this, like,
3: is there anything else we can do but write it out? Because I feel like anything right now
2: is just reactionary. No, no what, I, yeah, no, absolutely. But what I'm saying is like, I think that there's a move to be made, where you're not Yeah, you're not going extremist going to shove like a grenade in the spoke of American government, or something like that. And yet there are grassroots options available to the church and to individual followers of Jesus that can actually embody and demonstrate a love for neighbor and a solidarity and suffering with those who genuinely feel afraid and or threatened right now. And I feel like we haven't proved that. Like let's just, since you brought it up earlier, let's just look at the black lives matter movement. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of people in America who in reaction and you know, time shortly following some of these shootings of young black men said, "We're going to do this. We're going to embody it. We're going to walk in solidarity. And yet, who are the ones, the vast majority who actually put Donald Trump into power? Those same people, the the white evangelicals in mass who voted for them. And so that's, that's, that's why fear is like, They'll say, we'll say, yeah, yeah, let's do that. That's a great prayer, Gabe. And I'm not saying like your congregation specifically, but I'm just saying like in general, we're going to have a bunch of Christians saying, okay, we're going to do this. And they're going to wait for it to kind of die down, ride it out until it's somewhat forgotten, where then they're never actually held accountable to living those things out or being that light or being that friend or being that co-lamenter or co-laborer.
1: But it has to it has to be more than being that friend. And and, and I agree. I, I I see and this is the this is the another one of these surprising things that I don't get is that predominantly in our in in our political landscape, the church has, has voted Republican. And here we have a candidate, our our now president, who embodies the absolute antithesis of everything that we preach and we talk about in church here we have someone who assaults women regularly here is someone who says despicable awful things who is racist who is a bigot but somehow he he got voted in and so yeah i agree i don't see our church you know what what was the what was the spoke comment jamming the spoke or... Jamming the jamming the spoke of this. I, I I I just don't see the the church disrupting it. But we have to. We have to do more. And it's not about blowing up our government and anarchy and all those types of things. I talked about this way back in our like fifth episode when we talked about politics, and I made the joke, and now it's come true. But 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 I hope. My joke comes true. I said I want Trump to become president because I think we're going to come to realize really quickly that our political system needs to change. That the church has to not just blindly vote Republican. That hey, guess what, everybody, there are Democratic Christians out there. That it that we have to figure out a new way to approach government. That we have to figure out maybe it's a new party that the that the church props up. Maybe it is uh, getting more involved in our local politics to make sure. That we are raising up people who represent us in a way that we actually want to be represented.
2: Yeah, you and, a, and a, go on, Josh. Oh, I was just gonna say, Tom might be good at making a good G and T cocktail, but I'm pretty good at making Molotov cocktails. If you want to go burn some <laughs> oh <or> something down, because <laughs> baby, I'm gonna. Well, the FBI is gonna shut this not want to throw fire bombs at anything right now. Is it just me?
1: You know, if one me. of the things, Gabe, that you that you asked me on the phone yesterday, uh, the weird we are. We, we were talking about this question is, are all people who voted for Trump, are they racist, bigoted, misogynist? Like, right. That seems to be that seems to be every left left leaning person's rant on Facebook. Right. Right. And we've already alluded to that a little bit here.
3: And And well, so can I answer that? i i don't think so and and i mean i and i think i probably told you that on the phone too and and i i want to acknowledge this like i i i don't think it's a totally fair characterization like i I mean i made the miller light joke on the the front end of the show here but but like i know of plenty of people that are thoughtful caring loving people that are not any of those things that said Conservative policies are so important to me that I'm gonna hold my nose and vote for this guy. I don't like him at all as a human being. I don't like his character. I don't like anything about him. But because conservative policies are so important to me, I'm gonna hold my nose and do it.
2: I think that was a lot of people. And it, it, it probably step- highlights this the yeah. what we talked about. I mean, I hate to reference our politics episode from however many episodes ago, but I think that that highlights the need for a three party system. Like, I think this election more than, I mean, I, I'm too young and too ill informed on every presidential election that we've had in this country and all 46 or whatever presidents we've got. But I, I would be hard pressed to look at another presidential race that highlights the need for more than a pure, you know, partisan two party election process. <laughs>
1: The astounding thing to me, I I, I agree with you, Josh. I do. I've I've argued for a three-party system for a long time. I refuse to believe that, that as someone who, who, yes, I do lean a little left, but I I do occupy the middle a lot. I don't see why I can only like, if I, if I don't like assault rifles, well then, then I have to also be pro-choice and I have to, you know, right. Have to line up with all these things. I I have disagreed with that forever. But the astounding thing to me, you know, Gabe, you talked about this voting for Trump and holding your nose while you're doing it. If I were to grab another woman by the, by the lady parts, uh, I, I would be divorced. Yep. If I were to say some of the things that Trump said at his stump speeches in my workplace, I would be fired. Yep. If I were to make fun of a mentally handicapped person, in kind of any situation, I would lose friends, I would lose a job, I would lose whatever, right? Yeah.
2: Potentially sued.
1: Yet some yeah, I could be sued. But somehow, 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 if I do all of those things, I can be elected president. Like I don't understand why why we hold everybody to this standard of that is awful behavior. We're gonna we're gonna fire you, we're gonna divorce you, we're gonna,
2: you know, what sue you. Yeah, but, but we're going
1: to let it we're going to let it pass because of policy. Because so like, let's... have
2: you heard any of the interviews? Like, have you guys heard any of the interviews with Trump since since the night of the election or the early morning of the election? I think this yeah, is how been... I think this is how people who who like Gabe put it, plug their noses and voted for him, are able to justify it. Yep, none of those things have come out of his mouth since he's been elected. At yep. least for now, he seems to be putting on the air of, hey, it was just the election process. It was just the campaign trail. Let's yep. all come together, and let's truly unify. Now, I don't buy into that, personally. Yep. Uh, I think that's a, a crock of you know, doo-doo, and it'll just show itself very, very quickly. However, I think that that is the vindication of those who potentially said, policy matters most. I'm voting for you know, the red ticket because that's a policy I want to buy into. And look, he's playing nice. Look, he's not saying those things. We were, we were almost wrong about him, or we were wrong about him because it was just the nature of the election itself. Yeah. Well, so let me, let me push it. Oh, go on.
1: So, so let's be, because this is the thing about Trump, you know, we don't know where he's going to go. And I'm one to say, I have still not heard anything on policy passed I'm going to do this awesome thing. It's going to be tremendous. Like he, I, I haven't seen it. It'll,
2: it'll be bigly. Tom. It'll be bigly.
1: Right. <laughs> but I do know that Trump has been very successful. I do know that he is, has, you know, even though he's declared bankruptcy and, and, you know, used all the laws available to him to to continue to get ahead in life. Great. Fine. I, ho- I hope he does turn our country around. I hope, you know, my healthcare does get slashed in half as far as my, my monthly premiums. I hope we do get out of wars. I hope all these things that he's going to do for us, and maybe he will. But at the end of the day, are we okay as a society saying, you know what? I'm totally cool with with him being a serial harasser I'm totally okay with this type of moral behavior as long as I get to keep my guns as long as I get you know we're not at war as long as my health care is cheaper but so xyz and
3: and and so let, let's do this though let, let's put ourselves in a in a tricky spot because in one sense all those issues keeping my guns health care cheaper that sort of thing I feel are pretty penultimate like cool if you're really that's really important to you I don't really care fine go for it you know but an issue that I think all of us, even though we all would acknowledge we're a little left of center, an issue that we'd all stand behind is, is I think we're all pro-life, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep. yep. Um, and so, and and specifically in the sense of anti-abortion. And, and we're talking the appointment of probably three Supreme Court justices in this next four years. And so so in that sense, <clears throat> if I'm a Christian and I literally think an unborn baby being aborted is is killing them uh that that's and and i could get a supreme court justice in position to actually change that in our country boy is it not worth plugging my nose and voting for a turd
1: you know this is a, this is a conversation that i have with my with my mom with janet quite a bit hi janet yeah Janet we love you sorry about that one episode but we will, we we do have to we do have to get her on on, on the show at some point here yeah but the thing that I, and I am again totally on board with, with with what you're saying as far when it comes to to abortion issues and and supreme court justices but I do not believe that abortion is the end all be all of every single thing that's happening in our country no but there what i'm saying lot. is
3: this specific election it it it, it lends itself up because because i a long time ago got rid of the the idea that like republicans were going to do much to actually stop abortion because it, it just hasn't happened they've just been using it to buy the evangelical vote for a long long time and, george and not... Bush,
1: if they really wanted to do it george bush could have done it with yeah. the with the supreme court and this and And the House and the Senate, as he had it, right. Exactly. What What makes us think that that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned? Well, the the hope
3: is that because it ultimately comes down to Supreme Court decision, and
2: if if you get a conservative Supreme Court, it flips it. I doubt it's ever going to happen, though. I mean, like, I mean, I doubt it too. Especially after you got me hooked on More Perfect by Radiolab. Shameless plug for More Perfect by Radiolab. If you guys want to start plugging us, Radiolab, on Radiolab, you'd be more than welcome to.
3: If you want to listen to
2: a good podcast
3: and not ours, More Perfect. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's
2: seriously good. But what I think that actually showed me listening to that entire season on one U-Haul trip was I don't – and maybe it's just a cynic in me, but I I just don't believe that we're going to get to a point where the Supreme Court is going to all of a sudden start overturning previous – Dis- decisions you know what i mean like I, I just don't like i don't see as even if i wanted it to happen i don't see something as significant as roe v wade being overturned by any supreme court in the in at least in the next hundred years yeah yeah so then the, the the other side of it though
3: is like i mean while we're on this this hot button issue like hillary i mean if you guys watched the third debate i yeah. mean she literally was like give me a baby now. I will eat it. I mean, like she just like hates small children. And, and so the, the thought then being, she'll just make it that much worse. Like, like, so, cause there are, there have been measures, you know, like George W. Bush, uh, banned partial birth abortion and stuff like that. Like there've been some incremental measures that have happened. Uh, and, and she would reverse all of that is kind of the, the fear, right? That, that'd be that It'd be that much worse,
1: but but I, I, I'm looking. I, I guess I, I look to a bigger picture. I I, I of course think that that the pro-life, pro-choice, uh, discussion is extremely important. But I also think that our nine, whatever we are nine trillion dollars in debt, is extremely important. I think it's very important I have three little boys in my house and I would like to not be at war with every other country in this world.
2: You know, I would yeah I would like to well we're not, not to be, be at war with Russia Tom because Putin yeah, we, Russia's
1: fight I I I just th- there are so many other issues where the the Supreme Court justice thing it is It is really important but but to say that it all hinges on one topic i I just i don't buy into and so
2: well and i think that's i think that sort of summarizes uh not only our reactions but the reactions of most of social media that we tend as human beings to focus on the issues singular or plural that affect us the most highlight them talk about them you know uh exaggerate them to try and and make our points um And that's probably a fair assessment of what's happened, not only in the election, but post-election as well. So with that said, um, I've actually got a really cool interview that I want to share with you guys uh, that I got to have with a local politician, one Christy Wilkinson. And so um, yesterday to get her reactions, not only as um, a a local state senator candidate, but as a female politician as well to kind of what went down with Trump and everything, I I talked to her for about – 20, 25 minutes or so. And so why don't we take a listen to that now and we can kind of debrief afterwards. What do you guys say? I love it, Josh. Great idea. Let's it. We're friends now. Hurrah! Yeah. So in the aftermath of last night's general election for president, we thought it would be a good idea to uh, get some additional feedback and perspectives, not just from the three of us who pretty much know nothing about politics, um, but from someone who's actually run for a political uh, candidacy. And so today I've invited my friend Christy Wilkinson to be part of the podcast um, and be our guest. And so I think I'll just introduce her very quickly and allow her to kind of share with us a little bit of who she is and um, why she got into the political game in the first place. So welcome, Christy. Thanks for joining us on the podcast.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. Uh, I'm Christy Wilkinson. I was the, (laughs) excuse me, I was the Democratic nominee for Tennessee State Senate in a district that includes um, the majority of Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the rural portion of Bradley County, Tennessee.
2: But you're not from Tennessee. Um, You're from a different state, right?
0: That's right, I'm from a different state. You might be able to tell by my accent that I am uh, from Michigan. I was born in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is on the west side of the state, and my parents got divorced when I was five years old, and so I spent the majority of my childhood moving back and forth between uh, West Michigan and Metro Detroit.
2: So if you're from Michigan and transplanted to Tennessee, what got you into the race for one of our state senate uh, seats anyway in the first place?
0: Well, when I got to Tennessee, um, I had left a PhD program in philosophy. And my husband was uh, employed at UT Chattanooga. That was the reason why we moved here. Within ten weeks of moving here, we were expecting our first baby, and our lives really changed very dramatically. From you know being like grad school students to being uh, parents. Parents. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a pretty big gap. I think for sure, for sure. Two things. Um, so. Uh, you know, at, once I had, once I had kids, I sort of had to redefine myself um, as a as a mom, and somehow include my interests and find things to do that would keep me intellectually stimulated and stuff like that. Uh, so I started volunteering in my neighborhood. Um, it started out as just planning social events to get you know, neighbors together uh, around the holidays and around causes and cleanups and um, stuff like that. Uh, and, and after a couple of years, now I serve as the vice president of the Neighborhood Association. Um, and I, I sort of came to realize that uh, there are a lot of folks who live in my neighborhood who are dealing with issues like poverty, unemployment, um, you know they've, they've got family who have been incarcerated, uh, there you know a lot of, a lot of things that as a neighborhood leader you can't help with. And so I started thinking more politically um, about you know how how can I serve my neighbors and improve their lives? Um, You know, the levels that a neighborhood leader can't really...
2: Yeah, for sure. And I I think there's... I feel like there's usually two responses to anyone who lives in any neighborhood, either to completely ignore all of their actual neighbors, you know, like park in the garage, get inside the house, shut all the windows and everything, and then go to work and kind of do that rhythm and routine every single day. Sure. But then clearly there are people like you who from the second you move into a neighborhood, you're like, okay, cool. Who are my neighbors? How can I get involved? I want to know them. I want them to get to know me. And so like, if you don't mind me asking, what can, can you point to anything like maybe growing up or in your PhD work or in your travels or, or anything like that, that sort of inspired you or instilled that sense of, you know, the need for community and getting to know your neighbors and then ultimately trying to run on behalf of their interests?
0: Um, this is a, a question I haven't actually given a lot of thought to, but, um, you know, when I was growing up, I lived in a neighborhood that was a little bit socioeconomically diverse. There was a little bit of public housing in one part of the neighborhood. Uh, we lived on a street that was mostly like low-income working-class families Um, and then a few streets over there were some folks who were maybe like upper middle class the houses were bigger it was right across the street from a school Mm -hmm. Uh, and there was a little tiny church the whole neighborhood was called the Black Hills and it was on top of a giant hill Um, and at the top of the hill sat this adorable little white church with a steeple and my stepmother's father, who was basically, you know, the grandpa that I knew, mm-hmm. was the pastor of that church. Um, we, he, you know, pastors in a lot of ways are community organizers, uh, and...
2: Or hopefully they are.
0: I mean, ideally. Ideally. But, I don't know, you know how
2: many actually are, but <laughs> but thank you for giving us the benefit of the doubt on that one.
0: <laughs> uh, my grandpa was definitely a community organizer. Cool. And the church itself was very active in the community. We would have these neighborhood festivals that they would put on. There, were, you know, we would go around and uh, recruit youth, and we would um, knock doors in the in the public housing and spread the word. Um, you know, so I so that was a very influential part of my life um, growing up in that church and watching how my grandpa approached the variety of people that he came in contact with. I mean, he was a man, he is still alive. He, he did homeless ministry, he did prison ministry. He was the kind of person that um, took detailed notes as people were coming in for Sunday service about what their prayers were. Hmm. And he would stand for 20 minutes and make sure that every single person's name was mentioned, and that every ailment and every word of gratitude was included in his prayer and we would make fun of him because it was like 30 minutes of the service we would yeah for sure for sure. Uh-huh. it's like grandpa goodness gracious can you can you give us a break you yeah know? yeah um this is why you gotta always have candy when you go to my grandpa's <laughs> church <laughs> uh but you know th- that was a very that was a very important part of my life um and, and seeing his concern and care for people who needed help, um, you know, I can always remember him, you know, I remember when he told me he was a Democrat, and I remember when he told me that it was important to love other people, and those were the lessons that that I think, in my childhood, I think propelled me into this kind of position.
2: Yeah, that's actually really cool, um, and I don't think that in any conversation you and I have had before that that's come up before, so... That's actually really um, insightful, and like I said, I'm I'm glad that your grandfather was at least able to be that kind of positive formative influence, because especially now in the backlash of Trump's election, the outcry is actually against most of most white evangelical pastors because they were doing the opposite throughout this campaign, you know, backing a man who is known for being misogynistic, you know, saying incredibly racist things and generally, um, I mean, dare I say a hate monger. And so, uh, I mean, I'm really, it's cool to hear that someone who um, holds a position that is sort of now, I mean, decried was able to actually form and shape you to run for public office in the first place. Um, So thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's that's actually really interesting. Now you mentioned them um, uh, before. I kind of took us off on that little tangent, but um, you know, you mentioned things like affordable housing and, and and safety in the community, better jobs. Like, were those the the main platforms that you ran on? And if not, what were you know, like kind of the two to three things that that you said, hey, this is what I'm sticking to. You know, I, I refuse to let anything else you know define me other than than these platforms for for my race. Sure,
0: my platform was is was and is a pretty well developed. I have a lot of policy ideas things that I think will help our community but I I would say that the three major things that um, we focused on during the uh, general election campaign were um, a a living wage Tennessee has the highest percentage of low-wage workers in the entire country the jobs that we've created in Tennessee are not the kind of well-paying jobs that people can support their families on and build their dreams on and i think that it's very important that we realize that paying a living wage is economically empowering our citizens and when people have economic power the economy becomes more powerful
2: definitely Uh,
0: and so you know I, i really firmly believe in a living wage and i think that I think that every state in the country should be joining the fight for 15 as soon as possible. Um, I also really think that our public schools are in desperate need of someone who cares enough about public school and public education to fight for a reinvestment. Um, in our our public education system. Uh, Right now, Tennessee ranks 47th in the country for for per-pupil spending. So we have low-wage workers, and we have schools and students who don't have access to the resources that they need to be successful. Uh, This combination of of a weak economy and poor education is going to keep us from really being a competitive state, (laughs) <laughs> it's it's I think it's very frustrating um, you know so so education wages very important um, finally health care Tennessee was one of the states that did not pass uh, Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act recently in the Times Free Press there was a, a map of the country uh, on the front page that showed all the places where Private insurance companies are pulling their services out of counties across the state, and the places where those where those um, insurance pullouts are. The most concentrated are in the areas where we did not see Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act, and Tennessee is one of them. And Hamilton County and the, and the insurance companies that are here in the state of Tennessee are withdrawing their services. And we've seen seven rural hospitals close. We've seen lots of people lose their health care jobs. We've seen a lot of people, 260,000 Tennesseans don't have access to health care, 36,000 of them are veterans. Uh, This is something that our state legislature is really going to have to grapple with over the next four years in addition to the education and low wage problem. Um, You know, I mean, our our legislature has done some pretty incredible things. we, we've had cities try to pass uh, inclusionary zoning mandates where cities can can say, hey, if you wanna do a development here, a certain percentage of the development has to be affordable housing. We saw the state come in and tell the voters that they couldn't have that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen a, a, attempts at local minimum wage increase. The state steps in and says no. We've seen attempts at local, um, local level, local higher initiatives. We've seen the state come in and say no. Uh, so all of these progressive efforts that cities and municipalities are trying to enforce in order to bolster their own economies and do what's right for their citizens, our state legislature has come in and said, no way. And we have a Republican supermajority. Yeah. Um, and and there is there is not a two-party system in the state of Tennessee.
2: Yeah, I was actually... No re- yeah, there. I was really surprised at how... I mean, since I've only lived here for a few years, I was really surprised at how red the state of Tennessee is. And it's, it's probably most frustrating to me because like you, I think there are many not only um, kind of like excited, but qualified candidates who are willing to tackle some of these tougher issues that for however many generations were just kind of status quo. And yet, unfortunately, our local voting, you know, our local voters, enough of them weren't willing to say, hey, those are actually real issues. Man, let's let's make a change Uh, when it comes to these things. And, you know, I mean, I voted for you. I told you that. And uh, a lot of people did. And yet it still wasn't enough to overcome the, the incumbent who just simply doesn't care about these things. You know what I mean? Which is really inf- unfortunate and frustrating and destructive to our community, particularly because Like you said, we've got cities and municipalities who are trying to, you know, further the causes of those who are typically overlooked and neglected. And yet, here we are with the same people being reelected for another four years. And so, although you lost this race, and I know it was the first time you've run for political office, right?
0: That's right. Okay.
2: Uh, The big question is, and I hope you say yes, will you run again?
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I'm already looking at seats and trying to figure out what the best plan of action is going to be. I have a lot of community projects right now that I'm gonna continue working on, uh, both in Highland Park and in Chattanooga more broadly. Mm -hmm. Um, I plan on galvanizing the relationships that I've started building since the campaign started, and I see our potential for really bringing a progressive voice to some level of government in uh, Chattanooga or Hamilton County as, as very positive.
2: Yeah. That's, that's, uh, I'm glad to hear such a positive and optimistic outlook, uh, for our city moving forward. I, I don't think that's, uh, the sentiment this morning for most <laughs> of the country, um, after Trump's election. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to shift us a little bit from the local level to kind of our broader national level. Sure. And, I mean, let's just, let's just be really honest and get down to some, some brass tacks with Trump being elected. My wife said it this morning, we've elected a celebrity, uh, I mean, a television celebrity to now lead our country. It's a circus in so many regards and respects. What are the biggest challenges that the United States is going to face in the next four years because Donald Trump was elected president? I saw the
0: choice between uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump as a choice between the most qualified candidate for president to ever run basically and the least qualified person to ever run for, for sure. president. That's
2: probably fair. Um
0: and and I think the biggest challenge that we're going to face is having a president who doesn't know anything at all about being the president and what that means, and what kind of job that is, sure. and what kind of responsibility that is, um, I, I'm, I'm so angry. Yeah. I'm so confused. I'm really just beside myself. I don't, I don't see how, it's even real.
2: Yeah, and, and the presidency of the United States isn't a learn on the job kind no, of position. I mean, you you're right. You we need someone who at least has been around the block, you know, and and knows the what the the office of president of the United States, the executive, you know, branch of our government is supposed to do. And like I just imagine myself like, okay, January 1 shows up, Barack Obama and his family have moved out, and Donald Trump shows up and he's sitting in the, in the Oval Office kind of like twiddling his thumbs, being like Uh, okay, so what do I do? And then he starts asking advisors who have terrible policy ideas. And next thing you know, we're in this like downward spiral of, I mean, destruction on all levels as a country. And so I I think that's a really, not just fair, but like probably the best uh, perspective that to have like an extremely well-qualified, the most qualified candidate versus someone who's not qualified at all, that really exacerbates the situation in America for the next right. few years. I mean,
0: Hillary Clinton has held public office before. She's been in a in a presidential administration. She's been in the cabinet. She's been the first lady. No one else on the planet has had the kind of access to the presidential life and what that's like. No not even any president who's run. Sure. Because she has had so many other positions uh i i mean so for you know i mean so to to just see someone who's completely who's never held public office sometimes i even question whether or not he's ever read the constitution
2: (laughs) right yeah yeah for sure to
0: to have him be the president-elect makes me terrified and it makes me particularly terrified and particularly sad for my friends of color Mm -hmm. for my for my friends in the lgbtq community for for my my close friends my dearest people who are worried about their safety yeah because of the kind of hate that is backing a Trump presidency and the and the overwhelming presence of it
2: yeah I mean absolutely and I, you know for me I was I was thinking okay I my first time I got to vote was for Barack Obama and I was like this is amazing like I get to vote for our first black president man, the tide is changing. This is, this is the future of America. Um, you know, and it was hopeful. And then I was thinking, wow, this is crazy. I might be able to get to vote for the first minority president and the first female president. Like, this yeah. is crazy. What a great yeah. time to be alive. Yeah. And now I feel like we've taken like three centuries I of a step backwards, um, particularly when it comes to people of color, the LGBTQ community, and women in general. And we locally, uh, between you and Melody Shikari, you know, we had a a female forward ticket, um, which was exciting. Um, But I guess I can't speak to this because I'm a dude and I'm a white dude. But at least from a woman's perspective, I mean, what kind of fear is there in a Trump presidency when he's got the track record of not just kind of shying away or being subliminal about it, but saying some incredibly explicit and misogynistic things time and time again you know what I mean like how does that as, as a female politician more importantly, I mean how does that how does that make you feel or what are your thoughts uh, about what that is going to do to women and minority groups here in America?
0: Um You know, being being a woman is kind of always difficult, right? Like, I know what it's like to be catcalled. I know what it's like to have my body touched without consent. Um, I mean, sexual harassment is one of these things that I think a lot of women has have come to accept as the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that we just... Elected someone who admitted to regularly sexually assaulting women. Um, it, I mean, it's it's terrifying. That in in some ways I was surprised that the sky was blue this morning hmm. because, you know, like when you're when you're coming up on the possibility of electing a woman, the first woman president, and. You know you're you're on a ballot. You're sharing the ballot with her. You're sharing the ballot with other women. I mean, I voted for women all the way down the ballot yesterday. Um. To to see that, and for none of it. Well, I mean, we had one woman win yesterday. Literally. Sure. Yeah. Um. <sighs> I'm really just beside myself about this. I yeah. Really am. It's uh. You know we've got issues like even locally we had a state legislator in the house of representatives in tennessee named jeremy durham who was accused last year of sexually assaulting a number of women most of them were legislative interns or staffers at the capitol and the tennessee legislature enacted a law that made it such that any person who wanted to file a sexual harassment claim against a state employee would have to pay the legal fees, all of them, all of the legal fees. Just to
2: file a claim. To
0: bring the complaint against any kind of legal fees that were incurred, the person filing the claim would have to... So
2: the victim was then victimized economically in order to file a complaint against their initial victimization?
0: That's right. Um... It makes a lot of sense. You know, so, you know, we've got, we've got, we've got the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. Their Office of Diversity and Inclusion, that's the office at the university that protects students from sexual harassment, defends them against sexual assault, Mm -hmm. enforces Title IX, makes sure that... You know, every single person has equal opportunity and enforces anti-discrimination measure, measures. Our state legislature last year completely defunded that office. Uh, these were things that, you know, that the guy I ran against voted for. He supported them. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there's an attack on women. There's an attack on our LGBTQ community. And there's attack on our communities of color by the right wing party, uh, both at the state level and now in the Oval Office.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it's all stemming from, from fear mm -hmm. of what is different from them, fear of the future that is threatening, at least from their perspective, threatening, well, and on a very real level, threatening their, their positions of, of power and privilege and incumbency, uh, so to speak. And I think that that's, I mean, I don't know if I could have described, like, I feel the same way, you know, um, and I feel like that's how a lot of America is is feeling this morning um, as the reality is kind of setting in. Yeah.
0: And I, I don't doubt that sexism played a large part in why Hillary didn't win. Sure. And and even kind of watching her trajectory through a number of uh, presidential elections but even before that, when she was the first lady, her involvement and her and her political power as the first lady was very threatening to, um, to the folks in the Clinton, the first Clinton administration. And when he ran for reelection, she had to take a step back and become the more traditional first lady giving tours of the White House and picking China and so on mm-hmm. and so forth. In order to get the backing of the conservatives that that the Clinton administration needed in order to get reelected for sure. a second term, uh, you know they put a lot of pressure, and that's actually when they started going through her emails. Mm-hmm. And so that was very much motivated by sexism and the and the repetitiveness of let's go through all of her emails, let's go through her po- private uh, dialogues, let's let's investigate every aspect of her life, you know, I think was in, in large part motivated by just flat out sexism in general.
2: Yeah. I, I don't think there's much argument against that. We're,
0: yeah. We're, so, in a, we're in a tough spot here. Yeah,
2: that's, a, that's a really kind way of putting it. You really are a fairly optimistic person, Christy. <laughs> um, so, I just really <laughs> believe,
0: uh, my optimism comes from the fact that I believe that people have power mm-hmm. and that you know, we we can have power as long as everybody starts to realize what the real issues are and what really can be done about them and sort of uniting around the things that need to be done. This is, you know, one, I mean, I'm optimistic. Maybe Trump will do something impeachable in the first hundred days, right? <laughs> like, like... Like, nothing is beyond the realm of possibility. Sure, for sure. Point, so,
2: Well, I was actually going to ask you uh, to kind of wrap up our conversation is, is there anything, anything positive or anything optimistic that we can look forward to? Any kind of silver lining now that Trump has been elected? But I think you answered it. Hopefully he'll do something impeachable <laughs> in the first 90 days or first year or maybe even first week so that we could potentially get out from under the weight of all of those issues yes. that are, are facing us and, and all the challenge, deeply embedded challenges uh, that, that threaten life for the next four years. And so I just wanna say thank you thank for you. taking some time. I mean, I, I can't imagine what it's like to have the, the excitement and the just the adrenaline running, waiting to see results. Um, and I would imagine kind of the deflation or. or feelings of being let down, of not winning. But um, I just can't express enough that, I mean, what a strong woman you are, that even coming in today, you've got such an optimism and, um, you know, a positive outlook on the future to say, you know what, like, man, we tried, but guess what? Look at all the things we succeeded in, and here's where we're going to use those to our advantage to gain victory in the next election. For those of us who... Aren't as optimistic, or may be too scared to ever run for public office, or just not have you know uh, the audacity that you do. What's maybe one or two things that that we can do as neighbors, as community members, um, as Americans, human beings, whatever, um, in these coming months and coming years, to like you said, use that power that we have. Uh, to really affect our communities in in positive ways that will hopefully open the gates and and the doors in the future for, for more change and more progress.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say if you know of any community organizing efforts around a cause that are happening in your community locally, something that you feel really passionate about or even just a little bit passionate about that you'd be willing to spend a few hours a month putting some volunteer time into, uh, that can be a really rewarding way to be engaged in civic life without feeling despondent about the political reality. And God knows there are going to be a lot of opportunities in the next four years for us <laughs> to volunteer in ver- a variety of communities yep. and for a variety of organizations. Um, and, and, you know, like, I mean, I've met just so many people through volunteerism uh that it's kind of the thing that can save you i think it's it's a very rewarding experience to just give back to your community and do something that that, um, that satisfies that moral need inside
2: sounds good to me yeah well thank you again so much christy for sharing your thoughts and your perspectives on um not only your campaign but the results of the general election, and uh, I look forward to laboring more in the future with you in our own community organizing efforts. Um, if there's a way that uh, that those who are listening to this episode, um, if we can help support, you know, your your future campaigning and all that kind of stuff, like, is your website still going to be up and running? Should people track you down on Facebook? Like, how can people find you to not only maybe learn more about you, but potentially support you? Uh, moving forward in the future well, as well. send
0: me a friend request on Facebook, absolutely. Um, I'm, you know, I, just building an ever-growing network is, it, it's an awesome thing. Uh, we're going to, we're sort of, we're going to have to shift our website away from uh, campaign sure. things. Um, but I do plan on, um, you know, blogging about the upcoming le- legislative session and making sure that I'm doing my part to keep people informed about the things that are happening in the senate um i you know i'm i think i think it's going to be it's going to be great and i think that there will be some good opportunities for organizing um around around things locally and and on the state level in tennessee so right on stay tuned for sure yeah. yes
2: that's right well thanks again Chrissy. appreciate your time thank you yep I'm sure that sucked for you, Tom and Gabe, because I got to talk to Christy and you didn't. So what I'm curious about is what were your reactions? I mean, what did you think about some of the things that she said and the discussion that we had regarding the election results?
3: Real quick, Tom, I know you have one, but I'm cutting, Um, which is against what we said we'd do. You line jumper. Hey no, you show sucks. It, it's true. No, all I want to say it actually has nothing to do with the content. Uh just Josh, you're quite the interviewer, buddy. Like you you should do uh more things
2: without Tom and I. You're you're much better than that. Uh actually <laughs> so you, didn't, you didn't know this, but I'm editing both of you completely out of this entire episode. Smart. So smart. you're
3: welcome. Well, okay. listen, you may be a good interviewer, but if our episodes are an indication, editing is maybe not your strong suit. Sorry, Janet. <laughs>
1: Boom. So, the the amazing thing is, you put together, uh, you put together, full sentences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you read the questions that I wrote, mm-hmm. amazingly well. Mm-hmm. You, you know barely was- stuttered. And well, you sounded smart.
2: Yeah, it was. Well, see, oh, that's no. the thing. After this election, my church is going to implode and collapse uh, amidst the political pressure. So I'm trying to see if I can't get a gig on maybe our local WUTC NPR radio station. Ah. radio. You know, I don't know. Maybe just go for the gold. Who knows? I like it. Okay, so I, I
1: really, I, I was really happy with with the interview there. I mean, I thought, I thought she was great. I thought she had some great points. I, I would have loved to have voted for her. Uh, one of the things, though, that they caught my attention was when you guys were both talking about uh, how Trump is the least qualified person to be president. And I was I was thinking back to history because I've been around forever. Uh, I mean, we had we've had plenty of presidents who have had almost no experience. General Grant for one of them. But that was a long time ago. Uh, Eisenhower too, actually. Uh, they were. I mean, both killing voted
2: people in war is probably the best qualification you can have for becoming president of the United States.
1: Absolutely, but he, when you said he was unqualified, you know he's qualified in the fact that, depending on how you look at it, and, you know he, he's a he's a good businessman. He's done a lot of big things and built a lot of great things, and so. Tremendous things. They're the greatest, I guarantee. Uh, hey, so,
2: little, little Tom. This, hey, little Tom, rotten Tom. What do you even say? <laughs> huh. uh, but when you look at, I mean, his
1: whole thing was, we got to shake up Washington. I mean, I think everyone can agree, Washington needs to change. And so by electing another another lifelong politician is not going to do that. So maybe he is qualified in that standpoint. your silence is deafening i win that no, argument no
3: i was thinking about that like
1: how do you define qualified what how do you how is anybody qualified actually i mean i take i take your point cuz i've made the same argument having been the wife of a governor the wife of
2: a president wait you've been the been, wife of a governor and the wife of a president
1: i have i i have lived i've lived an amazing life i <laughs> Hillary Hillary has been a, a senator. She's been secretary of state. All of that taken together, she's lived the presidential life. She is super qualified to be a president. Maybe not one that, that half our country would want, and that's fine. But when you, when you start talking about qualifications, sure, she has that pedigree. But that's not the only thing that makes you qualified to be a president. Who's qualified to be the, the most powerful position in the world. Okay, Who's I mean qualified I'll, for that.
2: I mean I'll give you the fact that like there is no job description really. It the job description for president is who can get elected by vote. You know what I mean? Like that's sort of the 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 bane and the beauty of our democratic process. Yet at the same time I think I think what Chris and I were talking about and personally I think there are some like fundamental qualifications or traits characteristics of personality and leadership style that actually can be uh, oh man what's the word i'm looking for that actually can be indicative of whether or not you're going to be a legit president or not and for me i looked to just the way he conducted himself in debates and once again i know someone could say well he's not going to do that anymore because they were just debates but like do i really want like, Donald Trump, when he's having some, like, televised meeting with Angela Merkel or, you know, the, the next British prime minister to, like, interrupt them and be like, wrong, no, wrong, wrong, and making those weird faces with his lips. <laughs> the scowling face? Yeah, I mean, like, do, do I want that, like, <laughs> just basic dialogue human dialogue? You know what I mean? Like, he, he didn't really demonstrate that he can handle that
1: yeah that 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 is one you know that I mean just talking and and conducting business here in the United States is one thing, but then going abroad and being uh you know respecting other people's cultures and and things of that nature that that's gonna be well this this is gonna be a circus
3: clearly there's a balance here though, right because in one sense, I'd say any of the three of us can hold polite conversation, can be engaging, can respect other people's cultures, that sort of thing. And guess what? None of the three of us should be president. I dare. I I beg to differ. Okay. Besides Josh, none of the three of us should be president.
1: He was talking about me. Oh, Josh Josh is a huge proponent of
3: me being president.
2: Yeah. Because you have to be at least like 45 to run for president. So Tom automatically (laughs) qualifies. Yeah. Tom's been there for
3: like a decade. No, but like, all right, fine. I'll speak for self. Let's say I was old enough. I still shouldn't be president. Um, because I I've I didn't like I've not led at that capacity, not even near that capacity. Right? And and so while Donald Trump certainly hasn't done that politically, none of us have have
2: led or run multi million dollar organizations. Hasn't happened. Okay. So if you follow that line of reasoning then there really is no way to shake up Washington because following that logic, then the only way to gain the necessary experience leading at that capacity is to work your, say, work your way up from the local yep. uh, you know, city government or state government level to you know, House of Representatives or Senate to gain the experience to then say, okay, based on leading at high capacity over large swaths of population – then yep. I have to play the Washington game in order to be qualified to see, run for president. That's exactly the point. That's exactly the
3: point of Trump. That's exactly the point is saying he didn't do that. So, so he, in, in a sense, someone might say, I'm not saying this. All I'm saying is someone might say that that's actually uniquely what makes him the one most qualified to do it because he's the only one who's gained that much influence and that much authority outside of the political game
2: yeah you know what I'm saying, so he's the I, one I, one do. I do I do, but it's a shame
3: because he he found a way to get in
2: without playing the game. It's just so disappointing because I feel like bernie Bernie Sanders provided that same alternative, albeit inside of a more traditional political route.
3: Yes, that's true, but he of, wasn't the nominee
1: one of the interesting things that that has come up in a couple of the conversations I've had is this idea that. And again let's not take take this too wrong i do believe that our system of government is it is very good and we have it so much better than so many other countries but we are still a relatively young nation in this world and to believe that we have it absolutely 100 figured out it, it is i don't think it's true and so we've been around for 250 years and in some respects, that is a long time. And, and I think we've maybe come to the point where we're like, okay, what we have going on here is not the best system. There needs to be some major overhauls. And our current system doesn't allow that. And so that we need to have a real big shakeup. And maybe Trump, whether we like him or not, is going to provide that.
2: Yeah, a lot of suffering, I feel like, for that to happen.
1: Yeah, there yeah and and this is going to sound terrible but i mean because i don't wish the suffering on anybody whether it be whether it be people of color or people of different uh orientation or or whatever it happens to be but there was a lot of suffering to get us to the point of being a nation we had to sacrifice thousands and millions of lives to make that happen and so and it's not so
2: I th- think you just effectively destroyed our conversation, Tom, by alluding to the fact that Donald Trump's rise to power is of equivocal weight to the Revolutionary War. <laughs> <laughs> so. You should
3: stop listening to us, good listener. I'm going to say we're going to have to oh, call man. this
2: episode good on that one. Thanks, Tom. Hey. You know what? I saw a
3: musical. Well, I didn't see it. I listened to a soundtrack on Spotify called oh, Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> And now I know all about the Revolutionary
2: War.
1: Oh, I am so glad for that.
2: Yep. No, I. After Trump you know, got I, elected, I put on mascara and put on an old U- The Used album and just cried in my car. Oh, that's
1: living right. Some guy liner. You know it. We have now delved into complete uselessness as far as anyone listening to this conversation. So we need to wrap it up. We need to talk. If you are going to work tomorrow, today, whenever you listen to this, and you are still wrapping your head around what just happened with our political system, whether you are pro-Trump, anti-Trump, whatever. Let's go around the room here. What is what do we need to take from this? And, and I and I would challenge us to think about it from a, we've talked about this from a Christian perspective. We've talked about it from a political perspective. What do we need to take out of this? What How do we need to think about this?
2: I would say that I actually agree with um, Christy towards the end of our interview. I think it was actually the last question that I asked her was, where do we go from here? And I would say that more of us Americans need to be engaged in the grassroots political process, whether that's community organizing or just simply trying to make our neighborhoods better. That would be my answer. That's
3: good. Um, mine would be, I don't have anything good, man. I, I just drink more Miller light, drink more Miller light. No, I think we need less, we need less reactionary, Um, talk rhetoric rhetoric yeah less reactionary rhetoric and more reflection and and maybe I have the luxury of doing that as a straight white Christian man and so I just sound like a, a jerk for saying that but I just think the world is so much more nuanced and so much more challenging and gray than to just say this happened now I'm mad this didn't happen now I'm happy whatever that it we just got to just shut up and think for a while.
1: I, I would, to bridge my comments about Trump and the revolutionary war and things like that, that these next four years are going to be messy. I think the one positive thing about Trump is that it, it could spark some real change and it's going to hurt. And I do believe to go off of your interview, Josh, that we do need—I'll echo what you said—we do need to be involved. We need to—we need to be more involved in the political process from all sorts of different points of view, so that we can have a positive impact as a Christian, as a thinking, reflecting human being. Gabe. Mm-hmm. Yep. these things need to happen so that our our political system can get better, so that our the way we treat each other can get better, uh, and so that we can come out of this as with a nation that we can be proud of.
3: Hey, at least we did really great at the Olympics this year. Yeah, we did. Hey! Killed it.
1: Lots Killed of gold it. medals. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. That's all I've ever wanted. Thanks, Michael Phelps. Yo,
1: Michael Phelps.
3: Yep. Hey guys,
1: thanks for joining us on Penny Class Preachers. Uh, we are going to. Uh, we are not gonna be like the political candidates and and you know, tell you all about how you can support us and things like that. We're just gonna let that go because you've been listening to us long enough. We hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll see you next time when we'll talk about something equally important. It'll be and great.
2: Hopefully not. It'll great. be tremendous. Bigly. Huh. It'll be bigly. Bigly.
1: Have a good night, everybody.